0: Welcome to the Camp House Podcast, a resource that is here to connect, inform, and inspire you about what is going on in your community in Chattanooga. I'm your host, Matt Busby, and today we are releasing an interview with Hamilton County Schools Superintendent, Dr. Brian Johnson, on the new proposed budget for our public schools. If you've been paying attention to the news lately, you will know that the proposed budget is an increase on last year's. And so in our conversation today, Dr. Johnson takes us through, line by line, where every dollar of that new money will go, and how it will benefit our students and our teachers. Now, before we get into the interview, I want to say a little bit about what this interview is not. It's not a debate on whether or not the budget should be increased, and it's not a discussion on how or where that extra money will come from. It's the role of the school board and the superintendent to determine the needs of our students and our public school system and to propose a budget that will meet those needs. It's the role of our Hamilton County Commission and our mayor to put that into the overall county budget and figure out how to pay for it. This podcast today is really to help inform you about the needs of our children and teachers and to better understand why our school leadership is asking for this increase. However, make no mistake, This budget is asking a hard question of our community, and the result will truly show what our community values. Finally, there are a couple important dates to keep in mind before we get started. This episode is being released on June 4th. On June 5th, County Mayor Jim Coppinger will present the county budget to the county commission. After that, many of the commissioners will be hosting community listening sessions to hear from their constituents on this matter. So please reach out to your commissioner And find out when and where they are holding public meetings. And let them know your opinion on this issue. And then the County Commission will be voting on the budget on June 26th. So thank you all for taking time to listen to this important conversation on the budget with Dr. Brian Johnson.
1: We want to make sure that we uh, support students reaching their highest and best potential. And very candidly, that's what this budget is about. This budget is a choice. Uh, This budget is a choice uh, that this public, uh, the community makes, that our elected officials make uh, around what it is we really value. Uh, And so what we've done is put forth uh, the things that we feel strongly uh, and we know that our students need. And that's what this is about, what our students need, a student-based budget.
0: Well, Dr. Johnson, welcome back to the podcast. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So we um, we invited Dr. Johnson to come back onto the podcast uh, specifically to talk about the budget. And um, everybody knows at this point that uh, the school board has approved a budget that is an increase from anything we've had in the past. And, uh, and it's going to require some some tough choices and some tough decisions from our uh, from our elected officials and from our community in general, and uh, and, and asking big questions about what we want the future of uh, public education to be here in Hamilton County. And so uh, this interview is is not going to be a question of uh, really de- debating whether or not we should do this, but really to give the public a real clear understanding of exactly where this money is going. Uh, and so what what I really appreciate so far about some of the meetings I've been to and st- what everything I've seen is. It seems like you guys have really thought out and laid out exactly where every penny of this increase is going to go. Is that correct?
1: Absolutely. Um, you know, uh, transparency and being very open is important to us. So our entire 400-something uh, page document is online, as are the presentations and um, all um all supplementary uh, materials. So uh, it's it's really important, I think, for uh, for myself as a as a taxpayer or investor in public education, as it is for uh, the community to understand where the dollars are going.
0: Well, exactly. How much money is it uh, that this increase? How, how much have you guys asked for?
1: Sure. So it's a four hundred thirty-four million dollar budget in uh, in total. Four forty-three. I'm sorry. Thirty-four million in additional revenue uh, that we're uh, requesting. Uh, we had ninety-three uh, million dollars, roughly. Uh, you know, when we did our our priority based budgeting process. We had $93 million in desires, and then in scaling back and determining what can be done and what just we feel has to, to be done, uh, the $34 million is where uh, we landed in regards to that number.
0: Yeah, and so just so our people, uh, so that my listeners understand better how this process works, um, the school board, I mean, really – doesn't have any authority to issue taxes or anything like that. Essentially what the school board does is create a budget uh, and then that budget goes on to our county commission. And uh, can you explain that process a little bit better? Sure.
1: So, so um, I guess to back up, we uh, we start with uh, community listening sessions, and uh, we have several different advisory groups uh, to, comprised of teachers. Uh, we have a teacher advisor group, a student advisor group. Uh, then we do some community listening sessions, uh, and uh, we did one of those in each learning community uh, and tried to really ascertain what was important uh, to the community. Uh, we we don't uh, develop a budget in isolation uh, as a group of you know school or district leaders that just sit in the room and. And say hey let's do this uh, we want to make sure that the things we uh, proposed as investments uh, or things that the public said are really important and that our students and our teachers and leaders say are really important and obviously our school board and so um, once we've developed that, we present that to the school board, uh, and the school board uh, goes through several uh, work sessions where we present different parts of the budget, um, and then the budget as a whole document, uh, and then there's work sessions uh, beyond that, and uh, and then they cast a vote on, uh, you know, whether or not this budget is reflective of the direction we want to head in regards to our five-year strategic plan, Future Ready 2023. Uh, they did that, and so at this point, it goes forward to the commission uh, we've presented the budget as in whole to the commission uh, and then from there uh, obviously uh, the mayor uh, will next uh, present uh, the entire county budget and so we anticipate that uh, happening next week and uh, and from there uh, decisions will have to be made.
0: What's the exact date for that presentation? So
1: June the 5th okay. uh, he will present uh, the county budget uh, to, uh, to uh, the public and obviously the commission.
0: So June the fifth, this podcast will actually go out June the fourth. All right. Uh, So if if you are listening to this the day it comes out uh, and you like what you hear, it always would be a benefit to call your uh, county commissioner one way or the other and tell them how you feel uh, about this about what we're going to be talking about on the podcast today you know so as we're you know talking about this and again we're going to be going through each and every area where this this additional funding is going to be benefiting our schools benefiting our students and our teachers but you know i, I do think that there is um, you know as i've read stuff online and just been kind of more aware of the community conversation around this this big ask uh, i think there is a little bit of confusion as to whether or not uh, wasn't there wasn't there an increase in the budget last year
1: so year before last i guess there was a uh, the county um did Hope Millage Rate, uh, which okay. allowed money specifically to be used for capital. Um, and we're building two new schools out of that, uh, and uh, as well as doing some other projects uh, in addition uh, at Snow Hill and, and doing some other things across the system. But it's all capital um, related.
0: Yeah. And some of, some of what we're going to talk about today is capital, but some of it is um, directly impacting students, not just in the form of a building, um, but with additional staff and, um, and, and just, you know, improving uh, our school operations across the board. Absolutely. Well, you know, I I really do love, there's a document you guys put out called the Budget Highlights. And again, all of this is available online on the Hamilton County Schools website. And so we'll put links to this stuff in the show notes to where as we're talking about this, I I would highly recommend uh, my listeners to just open that document up as you're listening. And you can really just follow along uh, bullet point by bullet point as as we're going through this document. And um, the, in the budget highlights, again, this document is showing exactly where every penny of this additional funding is going to go. And you guys have split that into five categories, and I want to list those categories now, and then we're just going to take them one at a time, uh, and really so our, our listeners and, and the community can better understand how this is going to be benefiting our schools. So uh, those five areas, broad categories, are accelerating student achievement, engaged community, efficient and effective operations great teachers and leaders, and then future ready students. And kind of what I, what I love about this already, uh, and I don't know if this was strategic, plan, strategic planning on your, on your guys' part, but it's brilliant. Um, all of these asks are beginning and ending uh, with students. Sure. Um, so it's a brilliant way to lay it out. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's our budget. I mean, this is a, a student-based budget. We're in the uh, the student business. We're yeah. in. We're, we serve uh, students and families, and in uh, and, and everything we do, uh, we want to connect it back to how is it going to impact our children. Yeah. So,
0: and how, how many children? Uh, just as a refresher, how many children are in Hamilton County?
1: Schools? Yeah. So we have over forty-four thousand students uh, in our in our school system that we serve. Uh, we have roughly six thousand employees. Uh, and, uh, and so 50,000 people, uh, yeah. come every day, uh, either to work or to learn. And, uh, and we're very privileged to serve in that way.
0: Well, this the very first, uh, sort of broad category here is accelerating student achievement. And, um, I think some of these I might lump together and then, and then have you kind of explain them. Absolutely. Uh, but this first one is adding 10 special education teachers and 30 assistants to support children learning in more inclusive classrooms. What does that mean? What does that look
1: like? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, about two, three years ago, uh, probably more like three, uh, there was litigation uh you know uh, against the school district uh, around the lack of inclusive environments okay. uh, for special education students uh, and uh, out of that was birthed a inclusive education committee uh, which put together a three-year plan uh, in which they looked at other districts uh, in the state and they looked uh, candidly across the region and nation to uh, determine what was uh, the, how we should be approaching uh, inclusivity as a, as a district and so uh, what this proposal will allow is the implementation of that three-year plan to ensure that our our special education students uh, get the services uh, that they are due. Uh, And so uh, we feel strongly about, again, every area within the budget and and no different for this area of special education.
0: All right, so we're going to be improving special education. The next bullet point here is adding 14 counselors. And this one's really interesting. Adding, And actually, I'm going to lump these next two together. Adding 14 counselors to reduce the counselor-to-student ratio from nearly one counselor to 700 students to one counselor to 500 students, and then doubling the number of social workers to fund 30 positions and decrease the student caseload from 1 to 3,000 to 1 to 1,500. Again, I think this is, it sounds, again, like you guys have done some deep research on best practices for schools. Absolutely. uh, And how we can better serve um, our students, even outside of the strict learning environment, but improving those environments so that everybody can learn.
1: Absolutely. So uh, we used uh, the Counselor Association National uh, Standard as well as the Social Worker uh, Association National Standard. And the national standard with those ratios is 1 to 250. So for every one counselor and one social worker, Uh, 250 students being assigned is the recommended number uh, as far as the national standard. And so uh, with our counselors, this allows us uh, would allow us to go from a ratio of one to 700 students. Uh, to every counselor having a caseload at the elementary level of 1 to 500. Uh, With social workers, uh, we're currently at 1 to 3,000. This will allow us to get to a ratio of 1 to 1,500. Again, uh, we try not to be unreasonable with this budget. Uh, It is aspirational in regards to the ask. But, you know, when we talk about the national standard being 1 to 250 and we're trying to get to 1 to 1,500, you know, it's uh, – Candidly, these are just needs that we've uh, been kicking d- down the road. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 you know, the reality is we have students that are coming uh, with uh, different different issues, you know. Um, and and I think uh, there's a reality that it is a uh, different day and different time. And, and mental health is a real challenge. And uh, what our students experience, uh, it, it brings a unique um opportunity to our teachers to, to serve uh, our students and our, and, our, and our teachers oftentimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I go across buildings and I l- listen to different teacher groups and I engage with them uh, and our leaders uh, they are struggling and grappling with uh, the challenges the students are experiencing and so uh, this this uh, we know will allow our our teachers to even be more effective in the, the yeah. teaching of their of their students and so uh, those areas are important
0: yeah it really seems like this first one about excelling student achievement uh, so much of the ask is coming Around sort of some students are around, are, who are on the margins uh, of being able to have a successful education and really wrapping some services around them to allow them to be successful. And something we didn't talk about at the beginning, and maybe I'll, I'll add this into the intro of the episode, is that Hamilton County Schools has made some great gains over the last couple of years. Absolutely. And it seems like in order for us to continue that, uh, we really have to look at the students who are falling behind that are on the, on the fringes uh, awesome. of our classrooms. Awesome. And this seems to be really addressing a lot of those needs. And and as you said, this is not even getting into sort of the national standards. This is getting us closer, (laughs) closer to where we need to
1: be. Benchmarks.
0: All right. So the next one under this accelerating student achievement is adding fifteen attendance specialists to address chronic absenteeism, a state report card accountability measure. So this sounds like something we have to do.
1: Yeah. So the state, uh, federal government, they, uh, they. Measure us or mark us as an accountability uh, metric for uh, student attendance, and uh, it, it, you know this would allow us to have. And what we've been doing to be really clear is our social workers uh, at that one to three thousand uh, ratio. Uh, they've also been responsible for uh, tracking down <laughs> you know attendance, and so. Um, as a result, uh, they have spent a lot of their time uh, doing that versus uh, really supporting the needs of students. And one thing that I uh, would put a pin on and uh, a little bit finer point is that what we see happening across our school district is that uh, it's not just um, it is definitely students that are on the fringes but you have uh, students with these needs across um, socioeconomic um, yeah. you know standings and uh, really across our school district so when we looked at the budget we tried to look comprehensively at at um, at what the system needed uh, in order to, to really take the next step and I think you bring up a great point Matt when you uh, talk about some of the gains and I would put a little finer point on that um, you know for the first time since 1314 our district uh, met the expectation for student academic growth Uh, we had 25 schools that were level 5 schools which is the highest amount of level 5 schools the state uh, the district has had and and that just means that they were at the highest level for student academic growth. 17 of our schools uh, were reward schools which means uh, when you take chronic absenteeism student achievement um, all the different metrics uh, they rose to the highest ranking Uh, we had the highest graduation rate at 86.5% that the county has had since 2012-13 So there are a lot of areas of success. We were looking at our our scholarship uh, dollar increase and uh, the amount of students taking AP and dual enrollment. There's so many positives there. But this is about the next step in pressing towards excellence for our district.
0: You know, this last one, I think (laughs) you might need the most explaining. Uh, So the last bullet point under accelerating student achievement is placing alternative classroom monitors in every high school and assigning a behavior specialist in each learning community to address discipline in support of a new code of acceptable behavior.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, what we're finding is that that, uh, the supports aren't in place at the school level uh, to really support students. Uh, and to support teachers and to support leaders. And um, as a result, uh, you may remember about three years ago, about three months ago, two months ago, um, our district was flagged for data over the previous three years uh, in regards to uh, the amount of suspensions uh, and that our district had. And so we were flagged for a disproportionality in the amount of, uh, suspensions. And what's happened is, um, you know, that, um, teachers are uh, grappling with how to address student behavior. Yeah. Um, leaders are grappling with how to address student behavior. And then the solution becomes to, uh, send them home for a few days in hopes that they come back, um, you know, uh. Cured, and uh, the reality is, oftentimes that's not happening, and so uh, we're doing some things that don't cost money, uh, like making the code of acceptable behavior much more robust. Uh, traditionally, it's been a front and back. A trifold document, and so we're getting much more granular with that and uh, making sure that uh, we have consistency and coherence across our district in regards to the code. Uh, but then also uh, we know that, you know, I always tell people there's a hard and a soft, and so you have to say, okay, look, this is the line. You know, you, you go past this line and, and there is a consequence, but then you also have to say, hey, here's how I'm going to support you. And so that's that's really what this uh, budget is about, is uh, making sure those supports in place so we can move learning forward.
0: Well, great, so that's accelerating student achievement. That's every one of the bullet points underneath that sort of larger heading. Uh, The next one is engaged community, and this one only has one bullet point under it, but I think it's an interesting one, uh, and that is eliminating general instruction school fees across K to 12 to provide funds for materials in core academic areas, so this would be like a math class that, for whatever Absolutely. reason, has like a thirty-dollar fee Absolutely. for I don't know what a calculator, Wh-
1: whatever. Yeah, okay. yeah, uh, graph paper, you know. And so, so what this what this does is, uh, and then I uh, in coming here and I've uh, been here. Uh, a, little over a year and a half, and uh, what I've, what I, one of, one of the things I noticed is that the school fees are just so broad, yeah. uh, and so uh, this would allow us to eliminate general education school fees, math and science, social studies, as you mentioned, um, and it would also allow us to put a, um, a, a an average daily membership uh, amount, so to speak, so for every student we propose um, appropriating uh, roughly $40 uh, to the school so that those resources can be used at the school level. And most of our schools will see an increase in, in school-based funds that are available. Um, obviously fees have always been optional to pay. Many parents pay them, uh, many parents don't. And so uh, this really makes sure that, uh, that the schools are resourced at the level that they need so they can support students.
0: Okay, so the next broad-based category is efficient and effective operations. Absolutely. And, again, this one only has one bullet point underneath it, but it's, a, it's actually a big one. Uh, yeah. This is the majority of the funds that are being asked for, and that is $15.1 million fund balance uh, appropriation to support capital maintenance at 48 schools across all five learning communities. So mm-hmm. this is one that definitely affects every school in our district.
1: Yeah. So uh, the reality of this is we operate 7.5 million square feet of real estate Uh, our schools make up that's what they uh, comprise and uh, of that uh, within that we spend less than a dollar per square foot on deferred maintenance Uh, the national standard is to spend three dollars per square foot and so we've been budgeting three million dollars a year for deferred maintenance Uh, we should be budgeting twenty two and a half million dollars for deferred maintenance and so you see there's a nineteen point five There's a 19.5 million dollar uh, gap between what we've, uh, you know, traditionally been able to budget and what we've spent. And so uh, we went through the exercise of three million dollars in that appropriation uh, in this budget. And then we want to take actually another 15 million Uh, Out of fund balance to address this and and being able to do that really is a testament to our fiscal responsibility uh, as a school system, a testament to our school board uh, and our finance department and our team as a whole uh, to be able to have the resources uh, to plug in uh, in that way.
0: Well, I know one of, the, one of the sort of objections to any kind of budget increase and, and one of the solutions that I think people have, have talked about and put out there is, is the need to actually consolidate some of our schools. Uh, and I know you guys have been, have been looking at that. And, and I would love for you to, as we're talking about possibly allocating an additional $15.1 million and knowing how, how, uh, how little we spend on, on maintenance compared to the national average, um, what how, how have you guys been thinking about that on a school on a, at the central office
1: absolutely so that that's something we're looking at very deeply we are uh, in the midst of a comprehensive uh, facilities assessment review uh, we know that there's at minimum 200 million dollars in deferred maintenance and uh, suspect that that number is going to be significantly Uh, More because it was 200 million in 1999 (laughs) when the last master plan was done. And so uh, we are we are uh, bracing for that. The reality is there's not uh, a single revenue stream that's going to address the complexity of uh, our, our facilities challenge. Um, and so we, we've, we've begun to go down the way of uh, right size in our district. I mentioned we're seven and a half square feet uh, as we're building uh, the new Harrison Elementary. Uh, Hillcrest uh, is mm-hmm. coming offline as a school, and, and we, can, we will continue to want to be uh, aggressive uh, with that. You know, every time a new school is built, uh, we want to be having conversation about, uh, you know, uh, is it time to take a facility off? But, but the reality is this assessment uh, is going to really, in a very specific way, Uh, in a very clear way, tell us uh, what buildings are in good shape, uh, what buildings are not. And it's going to go really beyond that and give us uh, recommendations around um, uh, how we might attack uh, what is going to be a uh, multi-year, a multi-year problem.
0: I just want to take a short moment to plug our new upcoming season of the Camp House podcast, which is going to be focused on housing and development here in Chattanooga. And so we have a whole bunch of episodes lined up with Chattanooga Neighborhood Enterprise, Thrive Regional Partnership, our own regional planning agency, and so many more. We're going to be asking questions like, what is responsible development? What are the tools that we can put in place to make sure that development here in our community can benefit everyone? So that new season is going to be rolling out next week. So thank you all for listening to this special episode. Please come back next week. Subscribe to the Camp House Podcast and continue this conversation with us on housing and development right here in our community. All right, so the next broad category we're going to talk about is great teachers and leaders. And uh, this has a few different bullet points under it, but it starts with uh, a 5% salary increase for teachers and professional employees and a 4% increase for classified support staff. Uh, So talk about the need to give our teachers a raise and, and, and kind of how that how that sets us up to be able to better retain compared yeah, to our neighbors.
1: Absolutely. So we have to look across uh, neighboring uh, school districts and and really keep an eye on uh, the market, so to speak, just as any other – Business or industry would We do the same in education Uh, The reality is When we look We have to look at Cleveland And we have to look at Bradley And we have to look into Georgia And we have to look in Nashville And Rutherford and Knox And and so we we, When we look at that in particular uh, When we look at Bradley and Cleveland Because they're just right up the road uh, What we know is that uh, Their entry salary for uh, new teachers Is um, a good bit more than ours And so uh, this 5% allows us to catch up Uh, Now there is a uh, an ask uh, of our teachers within this 5% that they uh, do 15 hours of professional learning uh, which most of our teachers do that innately yeah. uh, but we want to make that a statement that an expectation that all do uh, and and that's what makes up the additional percent difference that you see between them and the classified staff but this is all about remaining competitive uh, I think uh, in, in any industry right now the economy is is strong and uh, we have a strong economy uh, you, you you have to uh, make sure you remain competitive and this again uh, puts us on par the worst thing we can happen is that uh, can happen is us not to stay competitive because it'll it'll make it uh, very challenging for us going forward and teachers are our most critical asset
0: so the next bullet point here is adding academic intervention and coaching positions so that all 42 elementary schools have RTI support for struggling readers now this sounds like it, it's part of that larger goal of making sure that our third grade kids are reading on level across Absolutely. the board.
1: Absolutely, that that is the impetus for uh, this this appropriation um, you know when we look at our, uh, our our district, when we look at the state data um, we know that third graders, uh, third grade is a key, uh, it's a key grade level like uh, an indicator, metric. it is, it's yeah. a very sticky one and so uh, the likelihood of a student uh, being able to read you know once they enter into middle school or high school if they hadn't gotten it by you know third, fourth grade it, it just it significantly significantly uh, reduces. So uh, this, is, this is key for us that we really, um, you know, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, uh, we dig in and are able to support our teachers in uh, the, the art and the science really of, of reading. Uh, and so we, we feel that this is just a critical one uh, for the future of our community at large.
0: Yeah, and I, and I know this is really big. I mean, I, my kids go to Brown Academy, yeah. um, and I've sat into, in their budget meetings where they have to decide how they're allocating their Title I money. Absolutely. Uh, and the majority of it goes to this exact need, um, to making sure that they have the, the support the teachers need to to take those struggling readers in kindergarten, first, second grade, yeah. um, and, and give them the additional support that they need. Absolutely. So the next one is increasing opportunities and pay to provide additional teacher leadership roles. What does that look like? <clears throat>
1: Yeah, so uh, we have great teachers in our school system, uh, roughly 3,200 of them, uh, and we want them to uh, be able to remain teachers as long as they desire. Um, oftentimes, uh, you find teachers that step into administration uh, because of uh, the differential in you know yeah. salary, yeah. and uh, and so um, you know. In, in, in addition to that, you know, uh, teacher voice is important to us, and teachers really guide our work. So uh, this allows us to uh, really continue to support that
0: all right and then the final bullet point under great teachers and leaders again has to do with new teachers Uh, and that is expanding new teacher support to provide resources for the first three years in the classroom
1: Absolutely. So, you know, the national research shows that uh, the first three years are really indicative of a teacher staying in the profession. Uh, And so we monitor and measure uh, our uh, retention rates uh, really across the system. Uh, We were able this past year to start a new teacher induction program, which has been uh, just hugely successful. Our HR team has done a phenomenal job uh, in that area, uh, in Kirby and and team. Uh, And what we know as a result of that is that, you know, as of today, and obviously uh, we've got a couple more months left in the summer um, when you compare our retention rate of first-year teachers uh, last year it was 74%. Uh, this year it's 91%. Wow, yeah. And so uh, I attribute so much of that to just uh, uh, really that team putting their arms around these new teachers. And, and what you find is, you know, and the research shows that, you know, in, in, in August and September there's kind of this euphoria of I'm a teacher and I've got a class. And then October, November <laughs> yeah, okay. hit, you know, and it's like, oh, my gosh, I'm a teacher and i got a class, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so um, And so we really try to be very intentional. Uh, during those times in which we know uh, the teachers are, are just you know they're humans you know yeah. and uh, been there, done that and and uh, every day is a new challenge and, and we want to make sure that they uh, are encouraged uh, by their commitment to being in the profession.
0: It was funny about that as I've mentioned on the podcast before that I taught I was a public school teacher in Florida yeah uh, and I only lasted three years. <laughs> yeah
1: well, you, you didn't have a new teacher induction <laughs> program yeah, uh, as robust as the one we want to make sure we have implemented.
0: That's great. All right, and then the final broad-based category here is future-ready students. And like I said, we started this conversation with accelerating student achievement. You know, the the last big topic here is future-ready students. And the first one underneath that is increasing technology funding to sustain one-to-one student device initiatives in grades 6 through 12 with needed technical support.
1: Yeah, so... If, if I could just say future ready students uh, is uh, I'm excited about all the areas, but I think this is this is the separator for our county. So, you know, what we know about uh, the importance of technology is in the next 10 years, there'll be 42,000 jobs in the STEM field with a median salary of sixty two thousand dollars a year. Technology is important uh... integration of technology is important uh... our system uh, traditionally has spent about one million dollars a year on technology the national standard according to the council of great city schools is to spend about two percent of your budget on technology so we spend four million we should be spending eight million and when you're the difference between four million and eight million is you know maybe i'm investing in technology but i'm not investing in support and technical uh... advisement or i'm invested in support and technical advisement and i'm not investing in technology either one is a recipe for disaster uh, Uh, And so uh, we want to make sure that our students Uh, have access to technology and the supports that they need. Our teachers have access to technology and the supports that they need. Uh, We are one-to-one, which means every student has a Chromebook in grades 6 through 8. And this year coming up, we'll be one-to-one in our high school, So every student in grades 6 through 12 has a device uh, a Chromebook that they take home uh, and they have full access to. And so uh, we feel that's critically important. But we know two years from now that Chromebook, three years from now that Chromebook will be obsolete. And if we don't have a recurring revenue stream that that, that lets us, we're the gig city, you yeah. know, know, we're about innovation, you know, we, we're, we're innovation, like you know? Yeah. and so right. uh, if we're going to really do that, we've got to, you know, our, our actions have to match our beliefs.
0: So does this increase that's being requested, does that get us closer to that
1: 2%? Absolutely, okay, it good. just puts us right at it and uh, it allows us to have a sustainability structure in yep. place, yep. Uh, which is critical uh, from that investment standpoint.
0: So the next bullet point here is increasing visual arts teachers to ensure all elementary schools have at least two days of visual arts instruction.
1: Yes. Yeah. So, again, uh, aspirational, not unreasonable. Uh, we uh, this past year, there were students for the first time in elementary schools that got access to visual arts because it just wasn't a budget wow. uh, commitment. And so uh, this will allow us to get to a place where there's at least two days Uh, in each of our schools. Uh, We believe in uh, the creativity of our students and the ability to uh, really engage and collaborate. Uh, And uh, and art teaches so much, uh, and so uh, we value uh, what art uh, offers. Uh, Our our community was just named by the National Association of Music Merchants as one of the best communities for arts education, and Claire Stockman and team do a a really phenomenal job uh, in that area, and so uh, we want to continue to invest uh, in, in, in the arts and make sure that our elementary students have access to visual arts.
0: Yeah, that's great. And again, I, I feel very privileged that my son goes to Brown Academy right up the road here on MLK, because yeah. uh, the visual arts is something that they have maintained for a long time. Great art ma- teacher. Part of it because she's a yeah. great art teacher. Uh, it's a it's a it's a magnet school. Yeah. Um, but like the proudest moments, my son's in first grade. My daughter he's going into second. My daughter will be going into kindergarten there. Yeah. And the, my pr- the proudest moments for my son when I walk down the hall is for him to show me his artwork. Absolutely. That is not necessarily in front of his classroom, but it's somewhere in in, in one of the hallways. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and so yeah. That's uh, and, and they bring it home all the time. And yep. I, I yep. just can't imagine, um, yep. I, like, I can't imagine losing those moments with my son. Absolutely, where he brings home a piece of Absolutely. art that he's so proud of. Absolutely, so I'm excited to hear that that's gonna hopefully expand to every elementary school across the district. Yeah, the next bullet point here is expand early college options. So, going from elementary now, we're talking about high school, Absolutely. expand early college options so each student can complete up to five courses or industry certifications?
1: Absolutely. So uh, this is a biggie, and we'll be doing more um, uh, talking about this over the next few weeks because I don't know that the public really understands the magnitude of what we're proposing here, Um, much like uh, Tennessee Promise, uh, where a student can get Uh, their two years of community college for free basically what we're saying is we want every student to have a semester of school completed uh, by the time they walk across the stage if they so choose Uh, if they want to go a certification route uh, we want to make sure we uh, incur uh, the the access challenge, which a lot of them experience, uh, to be able to attain that. If they want to do AP or IB or, you know, another type of dual enrollment, we want to make sure we expose that. What we know, why that's important is because, uh, you know, in Hamilton County, year before last, only one in three students got access to an advanced course. Mm-hmm. Of that one in three students, 75% of them went on to post-secondary. Yeah. So we know that there's a direct correlation between access to early post-secondary opportunities, and matriculation to and through uh, post-secondary. And so uh, we've got to increase access. We've got to make ourselves more nimble. Uh, our post-secondary partners are uh, working with us to become more nimble themselves, and uh, we got to make sure students are exposed uh, so that they're positioned to be successful as we work towards future readiness.
0: And, and, and I mean, it specifically mentions industry certifications, too. I, I would imagine that's tied to the Future Ready institutes. It's,
1: it is, and it's even outside of those. So we have a student, uh, I think, You know, um, the stories are important because you you really can understand the magnitude of the impact. Uh, A young lady named Marie Holland, uh, who graduated this year from Sequoia High School, Uh, she is a female welder, which is huge. Uh, And uh, actually, they have a female instructor, which again, in the welding area, is huge. Uh, And I think it just shows that. Anybody can do anything, uh, and there's no limitations, which we love. Um, but Marie's story is so powerful because uh, Marie, uh, at the moment she walked across stage, uh, has a job at Heat Tech earning over $20 an hour wow. uh, as an 18-year-old. Yeah. You know, And she's uh, you know, going to be able to and has, I believe I heard today, put a down payment on a new car and setting herself up in an apartment and, and, and being... Uh, self-reliant, uh, which is what, you know, any parent uh, in any school system wants a, a student, yeah. a child to be able to do. And, and she will go on from, uh, you know, even Weldon to doing another bigger and better things. But I, I think, you know, those types of stories. Now, the other end, uh, we've got students uh, that are uh, there's a young man at uh, Saudi Daisy High School. That's a full scholarship student uh, that's going to Georgia Tech to do engineering or Xavier yeah. Chavez over here at CCA, who's a full scholarship student to Harvard. Uh, and so a U.S. presidential scholar. And so we want to make sure that we uh, support students reaching their highest and best potential. And very candidly, that's what this budget is about. This budget is a choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, this budget is a choice uh, that this public, uh, the community makes, that our elected officials make uh, around what it is we really value. Uh, and so what we've done is put forth uh, the things that we feel strongly uh, and we know that our students need. And that's what this is about, what our students need, a students-based budget.
0: All right, and then the final bullet point in this uh, in this budget proposal and, and really where all this money is going to be going uh, is full-time college and career advisors at every high school. So this is really tied to that last bullet point um, of really just ensuring that our students, when they come out of Hamilton County Schools, are just ready for whatever's next.
1: Absolutely. So we currently have these roles as, as halftime. Uh, in each of our high schools, and uh, what happens is because they're half times and they're not benefits, uh, yeah. you get a ton of turnover in the roles, uh, which means you you have relationship breakdown at the student. Uh, college advisor level and you have relationship breakdown at the post secondary institution college and career advisor level and so um, allowing that continuity and consistency will help us on both ends with students and post secondary uh, options and opportunities and and we're seeing positive trends in regards to this Uh, our preliminary scholarship dollars are up from 30 One million last year to 62 million, almost double uh, what they were uh, this past year, which is uh, really, again, a testament to a lot of the work that's being done. Uh, But um, we should be getting 100 million and 200 million. Our our students are that brilliant and uh, and our teachers and leaders work that hard. And so um, we just want to make sure we're positioning students to tap into all that they can really do. and, And these folks will help us in that way.
0: Well, doc, Dr. Johnson, thanks for, you know, walking us through this budget to, so we know better exactly where all this money is going that, that, that is being requested of, of the public. You know, um, I remember hearing you, you know, give this presentation uh, for for a group of interfaith leaders here in Chattanooga, yeah. and you told this great story that I'd love to end on about blueberries.
1: Yeah, yeah. So uh, we're on a we're on a quest towards excellence. Uh, that's, that's what we so desire for every single child. And there's this great story about a gentleman named Eric Vollmer. Uh, he was an executive uh, for uh, an ice cream maker. And uh, their ice cream—they made blueberry ice cream. They were deemed best in the world uh, for the ice cream that they made. And um, and and long story short, they were so widely acclaimed that the commissioner of education in his state pulled them in uh, to help really transform public education because she uh, felt that the business principles that uh, they were applying in the way they had created uh, a high-performing, um, you know, business uh, were applicable to a school system. And uh, he he eventually jumped at the chance uh, and uh, began to go across the state, uh, really sharing these total quality management, uh, dimming's Deming, uh, work around, you know, how you continuously improve. And all those things are applicable, uh, you know, I think, to our school system. But, you know, the the the, the really focus of the story is around a principal that uh, invited him to come speak at the start of his school year. And uh, he stood up on stage giving this, uh, this talk about how school systems need to become more and more, and more like businesses. Uh, and, uh, and the fact that you know he was a blueberry uh, award-winning ice cream maker, and uh, this very seasoned teacher stood up uh, and uh, at the end of his presentation and said, "Hey, I've got a, a couple questions for you." Uh, and the question she posed, uh, she said, "You know, um, you know, you're known for best in the world ice cream. Uh, if a blueberry comes to you with a defect uh, or doesn't meet you all standard, what do you do?" Uh, and he said, "Well, it's pretty easy. You know, we we throw it out." He said, we're the best in the world. And to be the best in the world, we only want the best in the world blueberries. And uh, he he, in telling him, telling the story does much better than even I. He says uh, he he said at that moment, you know, he got the pit in his stomach because he knew he was he was like he was stuck, you know. (laughs) And so this seasoned teacher says to him, you know, um, well, that's just a problem, you know, uh, because uh, we don't control how our students come to us. Um, Some of our students are extremely high performing. A lot of them are. Uh, Some of them need additional supports and resources. Uh, Some of them have great home lives. Some of them don't. Regardless of where they enter, um, our job is to make excellent ice cream, so to speak. And so, um, you know, that's what this budget is about. This budget is about uh, challenging our students that are above expectation to be even better. Uh, to challenge our students that are at expectation to be even better, uh, to challenge our students that may not have met expectation yet to be even better. Uh, and ultimately, uh, the pursuit of excellence is what our budget and what our system and our work is about uh, as we step into this new uh, school year. So um, I think it's a very uh, powerful reminder uh, about what public education is and really the gift of public education. Uh, this is a budget that is 443 million, but when you do the math on it, Uh, And you divide it by the 44,000 students we serve and the 180 days that we serve them, uh, the 7.5 hours a day uh, that we serve uh, them as well. Uh, It is $8 per hour per child. Uh, And I don't know about any other parent, uh, but as a parent myself, uh, that's uh, definitely worth the investment. It also is an investment. Mm -hmm. Uh, And when you invest, uh, the return is is coming down the road. And so that's what this budget is about.
0: Well, Dr. Johnson, thank you so much for being here and and walking us through.
1: Absolutely. Thank you.
0: Well, thank you so much to Dr. Johnson for taking time to sit down and walk us through where all of this additional funding is going to be spent and how it is going to benefit the children and teachers of our community. Now, in the episode, Dr. Johnson and I mentioned some of the gains and growth of our schools. And just to give more voice to that, I want to mention a few of those statistics that our community should be celebrating. First and foremost, last year we graduated 86.5% of seniors, our highest total since 2013. Today, we have 27 different future-ready institutes that will help our young people explore and prepare for careers right here in Hamilton County. We are also a national leader in digital fabrication with 17 labs across our school district. In this past year, 17 of our schools received awards, and 25 of them were labeled Level 5 Growth Schools according to the state. Our public schools in Hamilton County are something we should be proud of, and I want to advocate that they are something we should be proud to invest in. As I mentioned in the episode, it seems like a good portion of this additional funding will be going to provide the necessary services to give the students on the margins of success a better chance to thrive at every level of our education system, and to support our teachers to create excellent learning environments. Finally, I want to acknowledge a criticism out there that I keep running across, and that is that we can't just keep throwing money at education and expect things to change. And I would agree with that sentiment. But to make that claim in this moment is to not pay attention to the context, to ignore the gains that we've made, and to refuse to listen to the very clear and exact plan that our leaders have put forth for how these funds would be used. This is not throwing money at a problem hoping it will be improved. This is a request for our community to invest in the future of our children in a very clear and direct manner. Every dollar is accounted for and every one of those bullet points we discussed have very clear outcomes that can be and should be measured. As far as I can tell, our schools have done an amazing job over the past couple of years with what they've been given. Now they are making a request of us that will enable them to make bigger changes to ensure that our schools stay safe, competitive, and nurturing for all of our children. These are our children and our schools. This is our responsibility. Now, if you want to learn more and look at these documents over for yourself, you can find many of them at hcde.org, or you can explore the links in the show notes of this episode. So I just want to thank you all for listening. Remember, the Camp House podcast is here to be a resource that connects, informs, and inspires you about what is going on in your community. You know, the United Way has a new slogan that I'm a little jealous of, and that is, a connected community changes everything. And I really agree with the United Way on that. My hope is that the more you learn about Chattanooga and what is happening in this community, the more likely you will be to get involved and help us steward the common good of the scenic city. So please take a moment and share this episode with a friend. And you can do that at thecamphouse.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time, I hope you all have a great day.